And these two sermons today and next Sunday will will put a, a bow, as it were, on the second book that we have been able to walk through together. Uh, we went through Philippians, of course, and now we are bringing uh, James to a close. It's it's always interesting when we're when we're preaching through, going through uh, uh, books of the Bible in an expository way. That big word just means to expose what is there, right? We're just seeking to go verse at a time, section at a time, to, to give ourselves the whole counsel of God's Word that prevents me from running away from the uncomfortable passages. We have, to, we have to talk about the ones that I would like to preach if I were given my choice, and we have to talk about the ones that maybe I would be tempted to shy away from. Uh, but now, as we come to James chapter 5, we're going to consider... 12 uh, verses here. And I, before we read these, I want to ask the question, what is it that makes suffering worth it? What would make suffering, what would make enduring a difficult time worth it? I think that as we, as we look to the Scriptures, there's this one consistent answer to this question. And that is that the treasure on the other side of the enduring the, the goal, the treasure, the beauty of what's coming makes the suffering and the endurance now worthwhile. When I was 12 years old in, in 2002, I had the opportunity to travel to Australia with a group of students. Uh, this is quite a feat, I guess, for, for a young man from a small town who had never really you know, been out and, and, and done much before. And, and the thing about it is, though, I had this little issue called motion sickness, right? Well, motion sickness can be a little bit of a problem when you're on a plane for 14 hours. You know, it takes about 14 hours from LAX to Sydney. At least that's how long it took us. And you go to sleep and the sun sets and you look out and there's nothing but water. And then you wake up and the sun has risen and you look out and there's nothing but water and 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 that makes you feel really really small well for 14 hours i was in the throes of like motion sickness not a very fun thing but one of the the, the chaperones on this trip just kept telling me just just hang on a little while longer why because what comes on the other side of this really difficult time right now is going to make all of this seem worth it. Like you're going to get to snorkel in the Great Barrier Reef. You're going to get to go see the outback. You're going to get to hold a koala bear. So just hang on, right? Because what's coming is really, really nice and is really, really Worth it. This is just a small picture of, of the encouragement that God seems to give His people who are enduring suffering. And we know these people here that James is writing to, they're a church that's scattered. They're experiencing persecution. And so James, as a, as a pastor to these people, this church in Jerusalem, he's trying to encourage them, to remind them of what makes the suffering now worth it. He says what's coming, what's coming makes it worth it. So I'd ask you to read with me. James chapter 5, the first 12 verses. It begins this way. Come now, you rich. We remember the, the strife that has been happening in this church between some of the rich people, I suppose, in the community, and then they're oppressing some of those who, who aren't so rich. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl. 
for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. These are really strong words. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, they're crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence, You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. And then listen to this this pivot. Listen to the the change of tone here in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth? Being patient about it until he receives the early and late rains. You also, be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and let your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Would you pray with me? God, as we approach this this passage of Scripture, 12 verses long, it's got a lot in here, Lord, and and there's no way that we could ever in in just one sermon do all of this justice. But God, I pray that you would give us wisdom to help us to see beautiful things in your Scriptures, things that we can apply to our lives today. Lord, I pray that if there's one here today who needs to do business with you in one form or another, who needs to even give their life to you and, and just surrender and give over the keys, give over the keys of their lives like we talked about last week, I pray that today you would seem sweet to them and that your gospel would invade their hearts, rend them before you, and, and would draw them to yourself. God, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Folks, why does it seem like the bad guys get away with it so often? Doesn't it seem that way every now and then when you turn the news on and you hear about something that has happened or you know of a story even personally? Why does it seem like the evil prosper, to use the biblical language? Why does it seem like the bad guys always get away with it? You know what I love about movies? You know what I love about the Andy Griffith show? In in an hour and a half, or in a 26-minute episode, everything always gets resolved, it seems like. You know, there's always this this one pattern of how a story, whether you're reading a book or, or, or watching a movie, there's always this pattern. There's everything is nice, then there's a problem, like a building, uh, you know, a building of the problem, and then there's like a, there's a climax, and then there's a resolution, right? You read about this in English class. Every story always seems to follow the same pattern. I wonder why that would be. I think it's because 
This is how God has worked in history. Everything was good in the Garden of Eden. Then there was a problem. And then there was a building tension. And then there was a problem. The problem kept building and growing. And it, and it looked like maybe there wouldn't be a solution. But then at the, at the top, at the height of the story, there's a cross. And that cross brings the resolution. And now we live in the, in the consequences of that good work that God has done for us. I think the reason that, that our hearts yearn to hear these stories, the reason our hearts yearn for a happy ending is because we are living under the creation, in the creation of a God who has set up his world this way. There was a problem. We're part of that problem. But God has provided the solution. And out of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can too live happily ever after. That's why all of the movies, that's why all of the Andy Griffith Show stories make sense to us. But the one thing I love about the Andy Griffith Show is that in 26 minutes, the escaped convict always gets caught. You know? The two little old ladies who were, you know, running a still, they're found out. Everything is always brought to a nice little tidy resolution. The thief goes to jail. The liar is found out. And everybody in Mayberry ends up on the front porch eating fried chicken, waving to their friends, walking home from church. We have been geared. We have been wired to yearn for this kind of story, for this kind of resolution. But, but we know that this picture-perfect little Andy Griffith episode isn't always how life goes, is it? It seems like for right now, because we live in this Genesis 3 world that's still broken, we live in what they call the already but the not yet. Jesus has already come. He's already paid for sin, but we're not yet with Him. The creation hasn't been yet restored. We live in this already, but not yet. And while we live here in this world that, is, that continues to be broken, it seems like the wicked continue to prosper. It seems like the bad guy still sometimes gets away with it. Listen to how Jeremiah chapter 12 puts it. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you, yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? He asked God. Why do all who are treacherous thrive? You plant them and they take root. They grow and produce fruit. You are near their mouth and far from their heart. But you, O Lord, you know me. You see me. You test my heart. And he asked this question that is repeated throughout the Old Testament. How long, O Lord? How long will the land mourn and the grass of every field wither? How long will it continue to be this way? How long will I continue to turn the television on and see the story that happened down in Clarksville or whatever, this horrendous thing, or, or like what happened back, back home just, just you know, 45 minutes from where I grew up, this, this standoff in, in Boone, North Carolina that ended, ended up with not only this, you know, this, this terrible situation, the death of a few people, but the death of a couple of policemen who were trying to bring an end to it. For the evil of those who dwell in, the, in it and the beasts and the birds are swept away because they said he will not see our latter end. How long, O oh Lord, will things continue this way? How long will my relatives get a bad report from the doctor? How long will death take away loved ones from me way too soon? It says in Psalm 94, O Lord, God of vengeance, 
O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long will they exult? They pour out their arrogant words, and all the evil doers boast. Friends, the wicked seem to prosper right now. Sometimes it seems like they get away with it, but we know, we know that because what the Bible says is true, this is not the final word. The brokenness that we see right now means that yes, it may seem like the wicked get away with it, but nobody in God's creation and in God's kingdom Because He is the good judge. He is really in control. Nobody really ever gets away with it. Even if they're never brought into court. Even if they never get found out. Even if the lies never come to the surface. Nobody in God's economy ever really gets away with it. Because He is the good judge. The way of the wicked, it seems to prosper right now. But in the end, it will not succeed. Why? Because their treasure is wrongly placed. They have stored up treasure for the here and now, and they are using it, these these people that James is talking to, they're using it as leverage over their neighbors. Of course, we, we treated this a little bit last week. This is not necessarily a passage about the evils of being wealthy. And we have to say, friends, If we are sitting in this room, if we have a car, if we have a change of clothes, we are vastly wealthy in worldly standards. We are the ones that the Bible is talking to when it says it is difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why would that be? Friends, because when all of our needs are so comfortably met, it dulls our sense for God. And this is why the the prosperity that we all live in in this country can be, can be, I don't know, like a a, a blurring of our vision toward the things of God. It's possible for us to see, it's possible for us to think that we don't have to depend on Him. It becomes harder to rightly gauge what is valuable and what is not valuable because we can have all the distraction, all of the entertainment, and all of the convenience we want. What do we need with God? But here James is both warning against this attitude. He's warning the oppressors and he's trying to comfort the oppressed. He says this, You who oppress, it will not pan out in the end. And he says, you who are oppressed, your pain is not the final word. So he has a a warning to both. He's, he's, He's taking the gospel and he's applying it to both groups and saying, will you just come to Jesus? That's why I've entitled this sermon, Just a Little While Longer. He says to those who are experiencing pain, just a little while longer. It may seem right now, like the evil are prospering, like the wicked are getting away with it. But if you have an eternal perspective, equipped with an eternal perspective, you can see that there is justice coming. It will not continue to be this way. It takes an eternal perspective. If the here and now is all that we have, then friends, what we ought to do is probably seek revenge. 
If the here and now is all there is, then seek your revenge now because there's no judge who's coming and he will not settle accounts at the end. So, so get back, even the score right now, if there is no eternity, if the Scriptures are not true, then, then get even now. If the Scriptures are not true, live for yourself. To get what you can get for yourself now. Hoard it up and spend it all on yourself because you only have, you know, 70 or 80 or 90 or 100 years to, to squeeze out some pleasure from this life. Then, then do that. Avoid discomfort at all costs. There's no redeeming value to discomfort if the here and now is all there is. And I would even go so far as to say if the Scriptures are not true and if the here and now is all there is, then friends, I mean, you're, you're wasting your time being here today listening to me. But, but, if the Scriptures are true and if there is a good judge... And if He is returning, then everything, everything that we experience, all the discomfort that we face, matters. We don't have to seek revenge because God will settle the score on the final day. We don't have to live for ourselves because we know that's just a trap. We can live for Christ. Second point today is this. Patient endurance, when done in Christ is always worth it. Patient endurance, when done in Christ, is always worth it. Look, look at verse 7, what he, what he says here when he really kind of shifts gears. He takes his focus off of the evil and off of the fact that it seems like the wicked are prospering. And he says this, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient, Establish your hearts. That's a very important verse there. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. In other words, live your life knowing that Jesus is going to return. Sometimes I wonder, you know, as, I, as I'm walking through my day and, and I notice in my own heart just some, just some attitudes in my, in my head that are bouncing around that I think are not very pleasing to the Lord. I think to myself, I would really hate for Jesus to, to come back like right now. And the last thing that I was thinking was how frustrated I am at the person in front of me in traffic. You know, or whatever the case may be. If we live our lives in view of the fact that Jesus is returning, I think it changes our scorecard. It changes our view of what's valuable and what's not. Here are some different ways, some different kinds of, of patient endurance. The first one is this, just the daily ongoing faithfulness of following Jesus. Just the daily grind. And I would say to you, most of the Christian life is not a mountaintop experience. That is not actually the most valuable point of being a Christian. Those are, those are incredibly sweet times, and I think we need them. But most of the Christian life is really not on the mountaintop. It's mostly down in the trenches of daily Life, Just the daily mundane faithfulness of waking up, going to school, going to your job, and doing it as unto the Lord. That's most, that's 98% at least of the Christian life. So maybe you're wondering, is your parenting working? I wonder that myself sometimes. You know, a couple of years ago, Whitney and I had zero kids and seven opinions about parenting and now we have two kids and one on the way. We have two kids and, and about zero opinions about you know, how parenting is, is supposed to work. 
Sometimes you may be wondering if your parenting is working, if your, if your prayers are working. Does God hear this or is it just kind of hitting the ceiling? Is it going any further? You may be wondering if you're making a difference in your job or, or what about the lonely nature of what you do? You're on the tractor all day or you're in the office all day and, and you're not even able to, to rub up against other people and, and let them you know, kind of interact with you and, and they can't even, it seems like they may not even see Jesus in you. Is, it, is, is my labor being used of the Lord in any way? Friends, I think the answer is yes. Of course it is. But in verses 7 and 8, this reminds us, he says this, Be patient, therefore, until the coming of the Lord. In other words, live your life in view of what's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Friends, there's always more fruit, there's always more growth under the surface than you can see. And so I think that we would do well to commit ourselves to God in faith and just say this, God, I'm going to plant, I'm going to water, I'm going to trust you to bring the growth. Why? Because I'm trusting that you're working in ways that I can't see. I guess I'm thankful for this passage because I feel like it's preaching to me just a little bit. I walk around with about 10,000 different thoughts, ministry thoughts every week. I go home. I'm not able to leave them at the church sometimes. I'm wondering, are the sick being cared for? Am I missing anybody? You know, have I, have, I, have I forgotten about anything? Are we making disciples well? Are we putting things in, in place here at our church that, that we can make disciples well? Is that happening? Am I sharing the gospel enough? Even if I'm sharing the gospel enough, have I taken anybody along with me to, to help them, you know, train them up in, in how to share the gospel? Am I challenging folks to go to the next level? Is my challenging folks being perceived as, as pushing too hard right now? Am I, am I, am I, am I trying too hard? Is the, is the sermon both reachable to a non-believer but then edifying to a mature Christian? Is it both of those things at the same time? And what about the next generation? Are we putting things in place here that's going to make sure that we're still here in 30 years? All of these questions are, are bouncing around in my mind. And so this happened this week as I'm reading this passage. I just took a little sticky note. I have a lot of sticky notes. And, and I peeled one off and I put it on the, on the monitor of my computer. And I said, plant a little bit today. Water a little bit today. And then trust that God is going to bring the growth. Friends, let's be a church that plants a little bit every day. That waters a little bit every day. But that knows that if anything good happens here, it's because the Lord did it. God has to do the work. Listen to these comforting words in Mark chapter 4. The kingdom of God is as if a man should, should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises Night and day. In other words, you think about the man who, who, the man who planted the seed, he has to rest, right? He goes and he, and he goes to sleep and he's not doing any work all night long. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and it grows. And he knows not how. The man who plants the seed, the man who waters the seed, we don't even understand how this happens. We don't understand how... I mean, we, we can get like some of the science behind it, but isn't it amazing that you can put seeds in dirt and we can do it here in Trenton, Kentucky? Many do it for a living. You can put seeds in dirt and we can be reasonably confident that in a couple of months there's going to be stuff coming out of the ground. We don't know how we did it. 
Yes, I mean, we, we planted it. You know, we ripped some ground. I mean, we, we, we ran the sprayer, but God is the one who brings the growth. So in our daily, ongoing, just the grind of being faithful to Jesus, friends, this is how we can patiently endure until Jesus returns. Just be faithful with what God has given you. Don't put on yourself a burden that you can't carry. Plant, water, trust God to bring the growth. Secondly, another way that we can patiently endure until Jesus returns is just with our battle with indwelling sin. Because we live in the already but not yet, we're already saved but we're not yet with Jesus, right? We're already saved but we still have temptations and struggles and battles. Christ has come and offered Himself but we're not in heaven yet. Jesus defeated Satan on the cross but He's not yet fully bound. He will be one day. Because we're living here, James tells us, continue to fight this battle for holiness because what you do with your body matters. James says, do not grumble against one another, brothers. In other words, waiting on Jesus has an effect on how you treat other people. If you're really believing that Jesus could come back like tomorrow, it might change the way that you talk to other people, right? Because, I mean, imagine just cutting somebody down at the knees and then Jesus returns and he looks at you like, I heard that, you know. Well, friends, guess what? He heard it anyway. We, we live in view of God's presence. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Why? Behold, the judge is standing at the door. In other words, he's got his ear to the door and he can hear it all anyway and he may return tomorrow. Part of our endurance involves joining with God to see ourselves becoming increasingly more and more like Jesus. So I would say, perhaps you have that indwelling sin and it's got its grip on you and you can't seem to get loose of it. I would say, reach out for help. Reach out for some accountability. Because God brings the power to change. Right now we wrestle, we fight, we fall down, we repent, we dust ourselves off, and we get up again. Why? Because Christ has forgiven us and He has given us power to change. He has not left us alone. So in your fight against sin, do not give up because Jesus gives you the power to see change. It says this in Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. Paul talking about his own life, I believe. He says, for I do not understand my own actions, for I, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I, do not, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin who dwells in me, that is my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Friends, in Christ there is hope. You may feel just like Paul did right here. I have the desire to do what is right, but it just seems like I don't have the ability. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He concludes this way. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So friends, as you walk this battle, what the scriptures call this narrow way, narrow is the, is the way. And, and, and narrow is the gate that leads to life. Remember that you stand in a long 2,000-year history of believers walking the same hard road. 
You are not alone. You have 2,000 years of believers in Christians on this side of the cross who have done it, and you have a church family that loves you and is ready to come alongside you to push you toward Jesus. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, in other words, since we're not alone, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that is before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He says this in verse 4, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So, pick yourself up. Dust yourself off. Press on because Jesus still loves you. It doesn't matter what you struggle with. Jesus still loves you. And while we have not yet resisted to the point of shedding our blood, there is one who has shed his blood on our behalf to make it all possible. The last one is this, the last way that we, that we, uh, that we press on, patient endurance is this, even in persecution. There are believers in the global church today, around the world, who today will meet as a church under the threat of death. All the words that I have for them, about them, is that they come from Revelation chapter 6. It says this, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness that they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long, remember that same question, How long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And they were each given a white robe and told to rest just a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Friends, we should pray today for our our brothers and sisters in Nigeria and other places around the world that seem to be hot spots right now for for persecution, and and yes, even death. Because of Christ, we can patiently endure now. Here's our last point, and it comes from verse 8, and it says this, live as if all of this is true. Friends, this is the encouragement. He gives us a command. We're always looking. One of the things we're looking for as we we read through the Bible is what is the application? What can I do today? What is the outflow? He says this in verse 8, in in James chapter 5, verse 8. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. It's almost like he's saying stiffen your spine. Like, like, Like strengthen the weak joints. Establish your hearts because the coming of the Lord is at hand. In other words, this is a call. This is a call to determine in your own heart, in your own family. And yes, here in our church, it's a call to determine, do we believe what the Bible says is true of us? Do we believe what it says about what is going to happen in the future? Jesus has given us a call that's that's so much more beautiful and is so much higher than just live out your days comfortably. He's given us a call and He said, establish your hearts. Friends, the days are growing short. And Jesus says, it is not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by His own authority. 
In other words, we live in the already, but the not yet, and because of this, we don't know when the Lord will return. But watch ye therefore, for ye know not at what time the master of the house returneth. Friends, let's establish our hearts. Let's live as if Jesus could walk through those doors today. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. So I would ask you, how is God calling you to establish your heart? How is God calling you to wait for the Lord? Maybe it looks like this. Maybe it looks like loosening your grip on that one thing that really has your heart so that you'll have more time or energy to obey God in another area. Maybe it looks like that. Maybe it looks like getting off the fence in some area, committing to serve God in a new way, I would say, if that's you. We have a number of on-ramps here at church where we could plug you into service and you could, you could you know, kind of loosen your grip on, on one thing and, and, and take hold of something that God may have for you in another area. Or maybe it looks like beginning just a simple family devotional time at home. You know, establishing your hearts, waiting, expecting the return of the Lord. Or maybe it could be seeking some, some help for, a, for an issue, a sin issue or just a struggle that has its grip on you. Maybe it seems like, maybe, maybe it looks like for you reaching out for, for the lifeline of, of help in some way or, or finding a mentor, or finding just some other brother or sister that can, that can sharpen you and you can sharpen them. Or maybe even you've strayed from the Lord. Maybe you've been walking far from Him. You've, you've been running. Maybe you've never even been established in the Lord at all. Maybe you recognize today that that you, you just don't have a relationship with Him at all, I would leave you with these words, these comforting, comforting words. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread? And, and why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Friends, we may have the sense that, oh, I can put that off until next month. I'll seek the Lord when I'm a little older. I'll seek the Lord when I have a little more time. And while he always stands ready to receive you, don't presume on God's grace because it could be that in a month or in two years or in five years or when whatever milestone happens that you reach, it could be that by that time your heart has grown cold to Him and you don't want Him anymore. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. That is my encouragement to you, friends. Let's be a church who is patiently enduring, who is waiting for the return of Jesus, and who is ready to receive Him, who says with a full heart, Come, Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it gives us everything that we need. I pray that we would uh, believe in it today. I pray that if there is one here who recognizes that they have never been established in the Lord, I pray that they would see Jesus as sweet today and that they would desire, they would, they would seek him while he can be found, uh, that they would return to him uh, while he is near. 
God, if there is one who has been walking far away from you, I pray that today would be the day of return. I pray for those who are just seeking to, to, to go through the, the daily motions of life. God, would you give us what we need just to be faithful daily, in and out at our jobs or at our homes or at school, whatever the case may be. Help us just to, to be faithful in the 98% of life that is not lived on the mountaintop. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that is ready for Jesus' return. Whatever, all the different ways that that looks like, would you prepare us? Lord, I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Friends, I'm going to be available to you right down front. Our folks are going to play during a time of reflection and response. I would ask you, if the Lord is, is prompting you to respond in any kind of specific way, if I can help with that, that's what I'm here for. I would love to, to talk to you, to pray with you. Um, if, if this stage area, this, this altar area could be a, just a, a good venue for you to kneel before the Lord and pray, you're invited to do that as well. Uh, but whatever the Lord is calling you to do, I would ask you to respond now. Would you stand as we respond? <clears throat>